0: Good morning and happy Easter to all of you. Wow, it is great to see everybody here today. What a beautiful day inside and outside that we have to worship the Lord. And uh, isn't it great that we have a sunny day to celebrate uh, to remind us of the Son of Jesus. I'm I'm so glad you're here today. If you are a guest uh, with us today, uh, we'd love to have you come back and share with us again. We hope you get a blessing. Uh, If you're visiting in our community, it's just great to have you. And uh, obviously all of our church family together Uh, on an awesome day. It's going to be a great day of worship. We've got some incredible things that God's going to do in our service. We've got some people who are going to give their lives to Christ. We get a chance to share in their baptism. And I want you to pray about that too because we want to open that time up to you as well. Maybe God will speak to your heart and you might respond today on a a great day. Uh, We are going to be finishing a series. We've been in for a few weeks now called uh, The Untold Story of Jesus. It's in the book of John. And today we're wrapping all that up Uh, And next week we'll begin a new series called I Love My Church. So it'd be a great time to come back to kind of find out the value of the church and really why the church is so loved by Jesus and how we ought to love the church as well. Uh, But today we're going to be looking at John chapter 20 and a little bit in John chapter 21. You know, a few weeks ago I was uh, driving uh, maybe to a meeting or something and I got a phone call and a guy said, they said to me, Randy, uh, uh, we're such and such as an insurance agency from a neighboring town and they said, that we want to give you a quote on your insurance needs. And I said, I mean, I'm driving along, so I'll, I'll, I'll play along and I'll go with you. So uh, we talk and, you know, the many multitude of questions. And, and so finally they said, okay, we got enough information. We'll call you back and let you know what the quote is. And I said, that sounds fine. Kind of forgot about it until a day or so later I got a voicemail and it said, hey, Ralph, um, we got your quote. And at uh, first I thought it wasn't me, and then they told me who they were, and so uh, I'm like, I'm not going to return that call. You know, I'm not, not going to do it. So a little bit later, got another call, another call, very persistent, a couple of emails to Ralph. And I, you know, if your name is Ralph, that's an awesome name. That is not my name. And I'm not going to respond to you when you call me Ralph. I'm sorry. But I'm thinking, why would these people call me up, know who I am, why would they Email me at randy at Journey KY church, and call me Ralph, you know? I'm not going to do it. Here's the email I wanted to send, you, send them. Thank you, but no thanks. If you don't even know my name, you couldn't possibly know my insurance needs, you know? I think all of us like to know that there's somebody out there who cares about us, somebody out there who knows us and what our special needs really are. We long for that, don't we? And I want you to know today that there is such a person who is, is better than any of us, and that's Jesus, and he knows you personally. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on your head, which isn't a big job for some of us, right? Uh, but he knows everything about you, and he knows your unique needs. And I want to today connect the resurrection to that fact that Jesus knows who we are, and he knows all of our needs, where our greatest hurts really are. But how does the resurrection speak to our greatest needs today? We, we wanted something practical. We want to come in. We've gathered in today. We've got our families, many of us do. We want to take something home that we can live on and think about the rest of the week, right? So let me tell you some ways that Jesus is going to help you with your specific needs. And I think we can get a hint at that by looking at the people and the issues that Jesus addressed shortly after his resurrection. You know, I just love the Bible. I love studying the Bible. I love to see what the Bible has to say about practical issues of life and how it relates to us. And once we get into it and we begin to see this, it's more than stories, more than just, you know, historical facts. It is a living book that tells us about the greatest person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to talk about that. But before we do it, let's just touch back on a subject that that touches all of us at some point, and that is the subject of death. Because I don't think we can talk about resurrection unless we first of all address a little bit about the death of Jesus. And I believe that death is kind of a painful reminder to all of us of our own personal mortality. This past Thursday I did a funeral for a longtime member in our church, Betty West. And Betty was 91 years old and she'd been in a nursing home for a year or so. But you know what, in spite of that, even someone that age, death touches us, doesn't it? Death affects us. The, our, the death of people we love, the fear of someone dying, uh, the fear of our own death—we all deal with that, and all of us are going to experience grief at some point. But that grief is even greater when it's the uh, kind of an unexpected death, and even greater when it's like a violent death. And when you think of Jesus, that's exactly what his death was all about. It was unexpected. He was a young man about 33 years old. He was at the height of his ministry and his work and his health. And he was put to death in a violent way. And death, I think, is a reminder of our mortality and sometimes a reminder of the cruelty of what one person can do to someone else. You know, we see this every day, don't we? In fact, this morning, if you watch the news, you you saw where there were terrorists uh, who attacked several churches and you know, dozens are killed and hundreds are injured in, in a horrible terrorist attack. That, that's horrible. Murder is one of, one of the most difficult types of death for us to accept and to process and, and to heal from: the physical shock, the numbness, the disorientation, the increased adrenaline, the heart palpitations, nausea, vomiting, you know, panic attacks. When you think about the the, the death of Jesus, Jesus and his family, his mother his brothers, his sisters, and all of his circle of friends and disciples, they felt all of, those, all of those things, all those emotions, all of those experiences at the death of Jesus. So one of the first things that Jesus addressed was the idea of grief, was grief. And I don't know where you are today, maybe, maybe today is a painful day for you. It might be the first Easter that you've had with somebody missing in your life. Or maybe it's a painful reminder of what Easter used to be in your past and And uh, and maybe you're grieving from that, the loss of of a loved one or the loss of a family relationship. But the grief is a real thing to us. And so Jesus in his resurrection, it's interesting that one of the first people he talked to and one of the first issues he dealt with was grief. And that first person was Mary Magdalene. Whenever Mary had met Jesus previously, she had had a very difficult life. In fact, she was a very ill person. The Bible says that she had up to seven demons who were oppressing her or maybe even possessing her body. And they were taking her life literally, they were, they were killing her through her health. And Jesus came along and he had power over those demons, so he healed her, he cast them out, he gave her a fresh start at life. And and so she was so grateful that she devoted herself to following Jesus the rest of her life and to accomplishing His mission. In fact, she became a part of that inner circle of, uh, of men and women who travel with Jesus from place to place and listen to Him preach and, and no doubt minister to people uh, alongside of Jesus. She was mentioned 14 times in the Bible and, and obviously, was, obviously was one of the best-known women in the New Testament. But she followed Jesus everywhere He went, and no doubt was at the trial of Jesus. No doubt she was at the crucifixion of Jesus. There was a circle of women. The Bible says he was there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so it's no doubt uh, that, that probably Mary Magdalene was there. And she had seen Jesus die on a cross. Not a peaceful death, but a, but a painful death. An agonizing death. And she had stayed with him as he died. She had stayed with him when many of the other disciples had run away, when everyone else had abandoned him. But Mary Magdalene was there because she loved Jesus, her Lord, Savior, and friend. And no doubt she followed them when they took his body to the tomb to be buried. And so she knew where Jesus was. In fact, the Bible says that they did like a partial um, anointing of the Bible or uh, putting the spices on his body to embalm him when he was put into the tomb. But they didn't finish it, and she had planned to go home to observe the Passover, which was required in that day, but then come back to the tomb as soon as you could early on Sunday morning to see Jesus, and to finish anointing his body. And so that was her plan, and so from Friday morning, actually, to watch the crucifixion as as he'd passed on Friday, late Friday morning. He was taken off the cross Friday afternoon. He was buried before 6 o'clock, the start of the Sabbath on Friday. From that moment forward, her heart had been broken in grief and sadness at the loss of Jesus. And now on Sunday morning, it was time to come back early in the morning, and she arrived at the tomb. She had a couple of concerns. One of them is, is there was a large stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb It was customary in that day for the stone to be placed there to protect and close the tomb. And then she probably knew that the guard, Roman guard, the the Roman guard had set up uh, uh, men around that tomb to protect it from anyone taking the body. And so she knew some problems were there. Who would open the tomb? Who would deal with the guards? You know, how could she get to the body of Jesus? But when she got close, she realized that something had changed. Because we know what she found that Easter morning is that the tomb was open the stone had already been rolled away. But then her relief, her momentary relief of that problem was suddenly she became very anxious because she looked inside and saw that the body of Jesus was missing. And she knew Jesus had a lot of enemies, but she couldn't imagine someone actually robbing, stealing the body of of her loved one and taking the body away. Let's see what happens next. We're in John chapter 20 now. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. So here was a woman who was in deep grief, could not imagine that there would be any hope for the rest of her life. Her murdered friend and Lord had been taken from her, but more deeply hurt now that someone had stolen the body. Not only is a violent death difficult, but obviously when that happens and and the body can't be found, there's a lot of emptiness, there's a lack of closure, and Mary was dealing with that. A lot of things were happening very quickly. And no one, not even the angels who were inside the tomb, had, had any ability to comfort her at all. And she's approached by an individual she assumes is the gardener. She doesn't recognize him at first. He questions her for a few moments, and she only recognized Jesus when he spoke her name. When he called out her name, she suddenly realized who this is, that this is Jesus, and she acknowledges him as her Lord and Savior. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus broke through her grief to let her know that death is not the final word. That death is not the final word of life. And that's good news for any one of us. Anyone who has ever lost a loved one, whether it through a violent method, a violent death, whether it be through sickness, an accident, a miscarriage, a suicide, Whatever it may be, when we've lost someone, we feel like the end is there, that the, everything is over, everything is lost. But Jesus broke through all of that to say, you know what? Death is not the final word to life. Several years ago in my first ministry, uh, I was called to an accident, an accident that had happened actually out of town, but it involved a pickup truck that was hit by a semi loaded with steel. In that truck was a father from our community, a 9-year-old boy, an 11-year-old, his brother, and their 16-year-old cousin. Now, we knew those kids well because those little 9- and 11-year-old boys had been in our vacation Bible school the week before. They were in church every Sunday. It came to our youth programs. They were just just really good kids. Their father, those two, and their cousin had been killed instantly when this semi-truck hit them. And I'll never forget that I went up to the funeral home and they were going to be brought in, and because it was in another state, it was taking a few hours for that to happen, the mother, as you can imagine, was just just exhausted and distraught. And I volunteered to stay and identify those boys for the mother. And I will never forget that moment. I, I was partly because I was young, but partly because there was a lot of um, it, it was, you know, children and that makes it so difficult. But whenever they brought those boys in, there, there was a lot of mark on them. But it was so obvious that, that life had gone. They just seemed to be like mannequins or something. There was no, you could tell that life was gone. It was almost surreal. Uh, and, and that was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. It was a quadruple funeral. I've only done one in, in my ministry. It was so sad. The mother was inconsolable and, uh, and actually grieved herself to an early death because of that. And the words were hard to find. They were hard to say. Now that's a horrible tragedy, but I've felt that grief and seen that many times at the death of someone, even though they may be older, even though we know that death was a blessing. It is still there because death brings with it that unexplainable grief that even when we hear about someone that we don't know well, there's something that kind of just stops inside of us. Why? Because to us, life is everything. And we ask the question, what happens, when, what happens when you die? There's so much we don't know. Do we cease to exist? Is life over at that point? Is that the end of us? Well, let me tell you this. If Jesus had not come back to life again, that would be the answer. That would be our fate. It would just be all over at that moment. But fortunately, that's not how it is. Because Jesus is alive, death does not have the last word in our life. When the world issues a death certificate, Jesus issues an eternal life certificate. Here this is yours now. Now go and enjoy it as a believer in Christ. Everyone lives in eternity. Every one of us do. But only those who are in Christ are going to find peace and joy in their eternity. Because our death, our cease uh, our death here on this earth is truly the beginning of life eternal for us. I've said it many times, but our life, even the long life, is a dot on the time of eternity in our lives. Because all of us, once we are conceived, once the soul begins, we are giving this life, this eternal life forever. We decide in this world what our eternity will look like. And that's the kind of hope that we can have because of Easter. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus takes the pain and the sting out of death. And he gives us some hope that, that our grief does not have to define us or be the big greatest part of our life. Jesus also spoke to doubt. And we know this story, right, about, about a man named Thomas, where we get our phrase, Doubting Thomas. I, I love that, but this poor guy got saddled with this name uh, for the rest of his life. But, you know, I think Thomas kind of got a bad rap for him because I think he really wanted to believe it was just a, a hard thing for him to do. You know, Thomas was uh, one of the 12 disciples who believed and followed Jesus the closest. And if we look at his life, we don't hear a lot about Thomas, but but one thing about him, he was very loyal to Jesus. And in fact, we read, maybe you remember a couple weeks ago, when we talked about Lazarus' death and resurrection, that Thomas was the one who volunteered to go and die for Jesus if necessary. He said, just go with him and die with him. You know, he was willing to go. He was sold out to the mission. He was very loyal but you know what, I think maybe he was just a little bit more honest than everybody else. He was honest because, to, to, be, to tell you the truth, he wanted to believe, he wanted to acknowledge that Jesus was alive, but he just couldn't get himself to that point. He, he couldn't imagine that. And what I like about Thomas is I can identify with him a little bit. I mean, I really can. I would like to think that I'm a spiritual giant and I don't ever have any spiritual doubts about God, but I, that isn't true sometimes. You know, I had those questions in doubt myself, and I, you know, I might call him Doubting Thomas, but it could be Doubting Randy just as easily, right? And he may represent you very well. Maybe you've got some doubts and some questions. you put on a good front, but maybe inside you've got some doubts. Have you ever had a time when you questioned God, and you, and you doubted what, God, what was going on in your life? You want to believe, but things don't make a lot of sense in the moment, and so you struggle. All of us have been through that. I've been through that myself. I had a time several years ago that I had a crisis of faith. And that's a bad thing when you're the preacher, you know? When you're standing up every week and you're trying to convince people that Jesus is everything and God has all the answers and you're not sure yourself, you're struggling. That's kind of hard. It's tough. And I had a minor surgery. I had complications. Couldn't get well. I questioned God. I was pretty pathetic. I have to acknowledge I whined quite a bit to God. But you know what? As I prayed through that, God showed me that sometimes I just have to wait on him. Sometimes I just have to wait because he's going to answer the prayer. just not in my time. And that made my faith a lot stronger, thankfully, because it wasn't long after that that I had a, a, a greater experience, another experience that I just needed to draw back on that remembrance of what God had done. God will, God will respond to us if we seek him. And you know, Thomas is the kind of guy who shows us that example. Everything in the Bible is written to teach us something about God. And, and so what we learn from Thomas is to trust God when we doubt. Thomas was crushed by the death of Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He, was, he had thrown everything into following Jesus, was preparing for the kingdom. The mission was everything to him. But then when Jesus was killed, the bottom of his world dropped out. And he had an intellectual disconnect Have you ever had Jesus killed in your life in some way? Have you ever had the bottom kind of fall out of your faith in some way? You know, maybe you grew up in a home that was supposed to be Christian, but but your, your parents didn't live that, and so you began to intellectually disconnect to say, okay, they say one thing and they live another, so it must not be real. Or maybe you went to a church somewhere, got involved, but you saw hypocrisy or legalism in the church, and you walked away. Maybe you were a follower and things got hard or complicated for you and, uh, and that made believing in Jesus really difficult because what you were told didn't make sense and nobody wanted to talk to you about it. Or maybe you're struggling with your experiences. Or you're struggling with science. What you've been told is true and that seems to contradict what you believe in the Bible and you have a hard time connecting the two. Do you think or has some point Someone told you that honest doubt and questions are off-limit for you. That you can't question God. You know, I think sometimes as, a, as Christians, we try to defend God. And we try to deflect questions and tell people, oh, you can't, you can't question God, you know. But you know what? God actually welcomes an honest skeptic. I mean, look at Thomas here. He's a guy that, that knew Jesus and followed Jesus. Suddenly, he doesn't know where he has, is with Jesus and if Jesus is alive or not. Mary Magdalene, she had seen Jesus. The other disciples had seen Jesus. Three days after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples as a group. All of them were there except Thomas. Thomas wasn't there, unfortunately. And when later on when they told him about Jesus, they were so excited, but Thomas didn't buy it. In fact, this is what he said in John 20, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my fingers where the nails were and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now that sounds pretty reasonable to me, right? In, in fact, that's what everybody else had had a chance to do. They're trying to pressure him uh, you know, because they had seen and believed that he didn't have that experience, he just wanted what they had. I don't think Thomas is really a belligerent skeptic. I think that Thomas is an honest guy who just has some doubts, some confusion, he's in shock, and he can't get past his own experience with death. Our experiences of death is that when someone dies, they don't come back to life again. Now, granted, he had seen Jesus raise people to life. He was there, no doubt, when Jesus raised Lazarus, but he couldn't get past the fact that now Jesus was dead and there was no one to raise Jesus. He didn't have this idea that Jesus had the power within him to come back to life again. But here's the thing, Jesus understands doubt and he's willing to prove himself. He is willing to do that voluntarily. It says a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. You see, Jesus didn't berate him. He didn't guilt him. He didn't shame him in front of everybody else. He offered Thomas the opportunity for him to prove and see for himself what he needed to see to believe. And Thomas did believe. Not only did he say, my Lord and my God, he went on to commit the rest of his life to sharing Christ. He went to Syria as a missionary. Now you know how Syria is now. It's always been like that probably. He also went to India where he died as a martyr by being thrust through by the swords of four soldiers. So he died in a horrible way. But he did that because he was so convinced of who Jesus really was. He believed his doubt was gone. You know, I think today that Jesus actually welcomes the honest skeptic. If there's a part of you that's a little bit skeptical, don't be put off. Just acknowledge that, you know. And those of us who feel like we have to protect Jesus and defend him all the time, we need to be able to do that. But you know what? We need to welcome people who are searching and asking questions because God is big enough and real enough to take your doubt and turn it to belief. He is big enough to do that. Jesus said, seek and you'll find. So we do Jesus and people a disfavor, a disservice, when we act like they shouldn't have any doubts about God and about doubts about faith. Because I believe that doubts are the very things that force us to struggle and think about something and try to figure it out. And you know what? If you try to figure out who Jesus is, you seek, you will truly find. He will give you all the proof that you need to believe. But let me just tell you this and warn you, at some point, that we also have to rely upon faith. We also rely upon faith. Here's what Jesus said and how he ended the conversation with Thomas. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now I like that because that's you and I. We're not going to see with our eyes the risen Lord until he comes back. Now he may come back uh, today and he, and he is going to return. But for most of us, our faith is dependent uh, on the fact that we just take a step of faith and we trust him because not all, not all of us are going to get the blessing that, that Thomas got to see him here on the earth. I think that's a blessing though that we're going to be greater blessed because we're going to believe in Jesus without 100% tangible proof. And that's a huge step of faith. So, Tom, so Jesus dealt with doubt. Then finally Jesus went and he went to Peter because he wanted to speak to failure. He wanted to speak to failure. And you know, all of us have probably failed at some point. You know, I I love to sit around and I like to watch YouTube compilation videos of greatest fails. Have you ever seen those? I mean, there's some amazing ones in there. The guy cutting down a tree on his house and, uh, you know, turning over vehicles. I I like to watch those. You can also read, there's a book called The Book of Failures. And in The Book of Failures, it tells a story, a notable one, about uh, some British firefighters they were called out to rescue a cat from a tree. You know, that, just that stereotypical thing. I'm sure that doesn't happen all that often. But they're called out, rescue this cat. They, they save the cat. They go down and they go inside uh, because the, the, the owner wants to give them some tea and crumpets or whatever they eat there. So anyway, they're in there and they're enjoying it and she's thanking them profusely. Now it's time to go. They go out, they get in their truck. They're waving to her and they back out of the driveway and run over the cat. That is not funny. I just want you to know. (laughs) Here's the thing. Failure is painful. Failure is not funny at all. And it leaves scars in our life, you know? All of us who have failed at something, we know what that's like. We know what it's like. Some of us who have gone through a divorce or to have a DWI or maybe an abortion at some point in our history or maybe to have been arrested or have gone through a bankruptcy or have an affair or to feel failure as a parent in some way, or maybe to have been let go at a job. There's an endless list of having failed at certain things, right? And failure really hurts us. And we ask the question, where is God when we fail? Does God give up on us like other people do and like we oftentimes give up on ourselves whenever we fail in life in some way? Peter was dealing with that. Peter was one of the most trusted disciples in fact, he was acknowledged as the kind of the leader all the way through it, you know. And he was in the inner circle with Jesus. For three years, he followed Jesus. He listened to Jesus. He was baptized. He baptized others. He was mentored and trusted with leadership and power. But we all know the story, right? We all know that what happened when, when Jesus was arrested, that Peter ran away. And then he sneaked back so no one could see him. He hid in the shadows He was recognized a couple of times, and he was accused of being a follower of Jesus, but in fear, he denied even knowing who Jesus was. I mean, that's a pretty big failure spiritually, right? Everything that Peter claimed to believe, everything he had tried to live for, his friendship and respect for Jesus, uh, all that was renounced and denied. Not once, but three times in a row. It really doesn't get a lot worse than that when it comes to acknowledging or failing to acknowledge Jesus in fact I've always kind of believed that what Peter did was probably as bad as what Judas did they just handled it differently sometime in our failure we throw up our hands and we walk away P- Judas did that of course he went and hung himself but Peter Peter didn't do that he repented but you know I just feel like there was something missing in Peter's heart about Jesus because he was beating himself up like we all do when we fail Now, put yourself in Jesus' place. If it were you and I and someone betrayed us like that, we would probably lash out with them and give them a very spiritual uh, rebuking or calling down, right? And he had every right to do so, but he chose not to do that. He did not um, rebuke him or lash out. In fact, he reached out to him in love. In a very beautiful scripture in John 21, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these And I think he's talking about, not only about his other friends, but you know, at the moment they were fishing, Peter had kind of gone back to that, he wasn't sure what to do with himself, and they had caught a bunch of fish, and Jesus said, Simon, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he said to him, follow me. You know, I believe that this was kind of Peter's reinstatement. where Yeah, he had repented and, and, and he was okay, but he wasn't sold out. And he felt pretty ashamed but until these, time, these moments when Jesus kind of reinstated him and recommissioned him to go and accomplish the mission. Maybe you failed today in a pretty big way. Maybe it was your fault solely. Maybe it wasn't your fault, but you kind of feel the burden of failure. I want you to know that God doesn't berate us. He doesn't lecture us even when it's our fault. He doesn't do that when we fail. He's not concerned with our past. He's only concerned with our future. And he forgives and he restores and looks ahead. And he invites you and I to come back to him and to recommit to his mission. And he can do that because he knows you personally. He knows exactly where you are right now in your life and in your relationship with him. And maybe you're here today and you have to acknowledge you've kind of walked away a little bit, a little distance. You're not as close as you used to be with him. He's calling you back. Don't run from him in shame or embarrassment. Run to him in friendship. He will restore you. He will reach out to you in your grief, in your doubt, in your failure, whatever you're dealing with at this point in your life. Whether you've made a mistake, whether you've struggled, He calls you back. And His resurrection proves His power to overcome all the obstacles in life, no matter how great they may be, if you will come to Him and receive Him. That's a call that we have this morning for all of our life. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to challenge you to do it this day. It's this beautiful Easter morning that we could come and acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus, but give ourselves to Him as well. For a few weeks now, we've been talking about how we like to make Easter a Baptism Sunday. And it's a great day. Why? Because it's a great day of worship, but also because the whole idea of Easter connects with baptism baptism is a beautiful picture of us identifying with christ the bible tells us that if we come to christ and we believe him as our lord and savior and we repent of our sins that we turn from our past we make a conscious decision to follow jesus that we're willing to acknowledge or confess him as our lord and savior and then we are to be baptized with him and our baptism symbolizes the end to our life that we have lived for ourselves, our burial with christ in the water that's why we baptize by immersion and then coming up to live a new life. And there's no better picture of Easter that we can identify with Jesus than baptism itself. And so we always want to make this a day that people plan for. And we do have several baptisms this morning. I see that just to tell you that people have been praying toward this and planning toward this. But maybe you're here this morning and you haven't done any of that. But you've been struck by the love of Jesus today. And you've decided today is your day you know you need to respond. You're not sure what to do. That, that path of, of acknowledgement doesn't take weeks and weeks of planning. It, it takes the, a moments of response. In the Bible, when people heard of Jesus, they believed in Him immediately, and they were baptized that same day, that very hour. And so we want to offer you that as well. And we're going to have some baptism in just a few moments, and let me tell you how you can be a part of that. I'm going to be stepping over here in just a few moments to the side. And we're going to be uh, sharing in a time of communion and fellowship. I'm going to do that a little bit different this morning because of our crowd. We're going to ask you just to remain in your seats. But I'm going to be over here, and I'm going, to, I'm going to go out this side. And if you want to be baptized, if you know that you need to be obedient in that today, maybe you believed a long time ago, but you've never given your life to Christ, you've never really uh, obeyed Him in baptism, we want to offer you that opportunity And those who are going to be baptized will join me over there. You can go out the back doors and come around. You can go through this door, whatever's easier. We have everything for you. We have shorts and t-shirts and hair dryers and towels and everything. There is no reason not to be obedient today, except your personal decision that you may be struggling with, and we'd love to talk to you about that. So I'd ask if you would, during our time of of, uh, communion and offering, if you want to just step out and come around, uh, we have everything prepared for you. But just in a moment, our our men are going to serve you guys where you sat, uh, our communion time. And I think also communion is a beautiful uh, time for us to celebrate on Easter. We do this every week, of course, in our our church family. But it's a way for us to remember the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, that we take the piece of bread that represents the body of Christ and the cup of juice that represents the, the blood of Christ. And we take them because Jesus said right before his arrest, he told his disciples, take this. And when you eat it, remember me. In fact, he says, I will not do this again until I take it with you uh, in heaven, the great wedding feast of the Lamb, one day that we'll experience. So it's a way now that we take these two symbols and we eat them to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. And if you're a believer, we invite you to share with us in that moment. Will you pray with me as we go to him? And then we'll go into our communion and our response time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the resurrection. God, were it not for that. We would be lost in our grief. Uh, we, would be, we would be struggling uh, in, in our doubt. And we would be consumed with our failure. But Lord, because of the resurrection, we know that there is hope. And Lord, you took time not only to come back to life again, but to deal with the issues that we have as humans. We're so grateful for that, Lord. Heavenly Father, as we now come to this time of communion and, and take a few moments to remember you, specifically your death, Lord, the death of Jesus, God, would you remind us and would you help us to now examine ourselves as we, as we share. And Lord, for those who are here this morning who need to respond, God, I pray for courage because it's hard sometimes for us to do the right thing, the thing we know we should do, it's difficult. But Lord, give us the courage to respond out of a conviction that you put into our heart, Lord. I pray these things in Christ's name.